Welcome everyone back to the broadcast. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network, and I am joined by Tracy Pearson. Tracy's fresh off of Disneyland, as am I. How are you feeling after uh, departing from the happiest place on earth? All in all, um, decent, good. Um, it made the day that we actually got our boarding number on Rise of the Resistance. If not, I would have been pissed. Because You're mad as hell. It. You would have been overturning tables. Well, because we went in like February 2020. And did not, we were there till 9.30 waiting for our boarding You sacrificed your health to try to get on Rise of the Resistance in February of 2020, and they still couldn't get you on. And you know that sucker, even if you think you're getting on, then it breaks down three times during the day, and it's delayed. But once you're on it, you completely understand why it breaks down about 50 times, because there are about a million moving parts on that thing. The technology, that is definitely a step forward in ride technology. That is... It was it was phenomenal. It made the day. I gotta tell you, it blew yeah. me away. Honestly, like yeah. every part of it. Like it's a it's it's about four rides in one. Like it's yeah. a it's a it's an awful like walking simulator. Like some of those universal rides at once, and then it's this really cool motion ride, and then it's this like tra- not this untracked movement in a cart. Like it's 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 awesome. It's great. That's cool enough that they're not on tracks. How, I mean, I didn't know how that works. It's a sensor or something? What, yeah, it's, I mean, a, how it's those... a whole bunch of motion sensors. Um, wow. And, like, just this automated technology. But there's so much of it. Like, just uh, go go to Disneyland, spend your, I don't know, $7,000 to go, and uh, really bask in it. It's uh, But what you do, wild. what you need to do, just so you know, you need to get on the app, and at 7, it opens at 9 o'clock, but at 7 a.m. No, 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 first, hang on, let's start at the very yeah. beginning. First, rob a bank. Once you have finished robbing a bank and you have the money from that bank, use that to fund a crew to rob a series of banks. Once you have that money, then buy uh, a one-day pass to Disneyland. And when the police find you and you tell them why, they'll let you go because they'll understand. Right, right, right. No, this isn't isn't thievery. This is just funding. Um, Yeah. So once you've got that done, then you buy your tickets to Disneyland, and then at seven a.m. you get on that app, and and not not seven oh 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 one, no, but six, literally when the clock strikes seven, you are in that app signing. You up should for your start spot. refreshing at six fifty eight. Yeah, just to okay. practice your thumbs. Like you should actually do some practice reps. And don't hesitate. Just hit. It says. Uh, what does it say? Uh, like get, I can't remember, but just go right through. It, yeah, yeah. It, don't don't hesit- overthink it. Don't, yeah, don't, don't overthink think it. about it at all. Like you really need to do some practice reps. Um, I don't know what that will entail, but really work your thumbs. Um, you guys no, are so going to appreciate this. I no, swear. No half gonna, measures, no half yeah. measures. Um, yeah. but yeah, uh, Disney was great. Just so everyone knows it was awesome. Uh, Tracy and I both got in, uh, when it was still 35% which it will be until June 15th. Then the capacity goes up. It'll probably be a hellhole again. Um, yes. But, hey, we got in, and that's all that matters. It's going to be It's going to be nuts. It's yeah. going to be absolutely nuts. And I, yeah. When you can get into Disneyland, there aren't a lot of people. It's it's the most fun place ever. It's, when it's, it's crowded one might and hot, say, Tracy, it's the happiest, it's the happiest place, on, place Earth. on Earth. When it is hot and crowded, it is the most miserable place on Earth. Well, and I will say this, uh, my assessment of the situation is 
35% was absolute capacity for the way they were going to do the lines. Um, if if they allow more people, they're really going to have to relax the social distancing rules. I don't know how they'll do it. Yeah, yeah I, I think there's a chance that they just maintain it if they are trying to continue to have any social distancing rules in place, that they'll just maintain capacity restrictions at like under 50%. Because there's no way they can do what they're doing with the lines um, and have many more people in the park. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, that's our little Disney recap for all of you. Uh, but we have to talk about UCLA here on this oh, UCLA yes. sports podcast. There was actually, there's a lot going on. Um, well, I mean, <laughs> it's June. There's a lot going on with the rest of college football because all the programs are hosting official visits except UCLA and Clemson. Well, those are uh, those are very similar similar programs, similarly situated in the college football world. I they would have say. a lot in, a very much in common. Two programs that play football have so much leverage. Yeah, <laughs> blue Seriously, and orange are those are those opposite colors on the color wheel. It is getting it is getting some publicity that UCLA as will not host an official visit. I mean, Clemson can do it. They. They have, they're still hosting a lot of unofficial visits, Clemson, of big-time guys, but they can also hold out and say, okay, well, you know, you're not going to make your decision until you visit here, so visit us in fall, and we'll get your last visit. Yeah, that's not happening with UCLA. It was just UCLA's choice not to host official visits. People have asked why. Uh, there is the rationale that, you know, the official visit doesn't have as much value because the students aren't on campus, there's no games. But I think it's also UCLA just deciding they didn't want to do it in June. Yeah, I mean, you know my theory on UCLA and recruiting, uh, which is that they don't, you know, that the head man doesn't really enjoy it, and that kind of trickles down. Um, So I think this is of a piece. Um, But to be fair, I mean, California still has a few restrictions in place through June 15th that might make it more of a pain in the ass than it otherwise would be. Hey, Dave. Hey, Dave. Cal hosted 27 official visits in June. Right. So my carrying water for Chip Kelly, my my aborted attempt at carrying water for Chip Kelly, which is something I swore I would never do for the last Last two years. Lasted four seconds. Lasted four seconds. Four (laughs) total seconds. Yeah, he just doesn't like recruiting, and he would like to put it off as long as possible. Yeah. We'll see how it, you know, a lot of people make the argument that in the long run it might not have an effect. A lot of these... Players who will take an official visit to UCLA in fall could all be true, absolutely. But we we got to take note of some of the UCLA targets who did take official visits elsewhere in June and see how those recruitments go. Yeah, I would love to. You know, somebody should do an analysis. Somebody from two four seven on like the uh, the ROI on the June official visits. Like, what what's the commitment rate from those things? Like after yeah. you know, I don't know five years of this um and see see what it looks like because has think, it been five no wow. no after five years i think it's only oh, been okay. a few um yeah it's only been like three i think two yeah three. but even now i mean i think it'd be interesting i think there's probably a big enough sample size that you could probably do some interesting look-sees at it um, i'll get them right on that dave get them on it send them that say this so is dave woods that. call this the dave woods memorial story i'm not dead but there's you know. that and then the rest of college uh, UCLA football recruiting, there was a big development, which might be the 
biggest development in recruiting on the West Coast or the most controversial is the transfer of Jay Toia from USC after one semester and one spring practice. Well, and nothing one, about this seems weird. Yeah. It all seems above board to me, and I don't see why there's any controversy. And then he took a visit to Michigan, and then he's now verbally committed to UCLA. Yeah, that seems normal. This uh, all seems normal. I don't it, know. I don't know why anyone's it, casting a scan. You know, weird. There's gazes so at much this. to talk about. Yeah, there's a lot of. Uh, um, well, you would say there are conspiracy theories out there. Um, I would say there's conspiracy theories. I would say there's theories that. Um, I would say there's some theories that smell right, some theories that smell wrong. Uh, but there are a lot of theories. Yes, Tracy. Yes. Uh, you know, we could talk endlessly and, and no one knows really the true story. There are a lot of people who are claiming and there are a lot of different theories. Some people I know who are the most tied in people in Southern California recruiting and they don't know. So just trying to speculate, talk about it is just kind of ridiculous. So what we should talk about, because UCLA is the school <laughs> that is massively benefiting here, we can talk about the, the impact. So first of, I will say this. Jay Towia. The last recruitment this weird that UCLA benefited this much from was actually from a defensive lineman as well, Eddie Vanderdose, where yes. something just went so bizarre. Not quite as high profile. Um, that one was obviously, you know, a five-star number, I don't know, five guy in the country going to Notre Dame and then going to UCLA. Uh, but this is, you know, as far as weirdness goes, from a crosstown rival to uh, the other one. Um, it, well, it's kind of similar. Participating went... in spring and then being yeah. in the other team's program within two months. Um, yeah, that's weird. And it's kind of similar because, you know, a guy went away to school far away and then he decided to want to come home. Oh, no, that didn't happen. No, 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 no. He, he went far away in that he went five <laughs> miles away and then he went... Actually, no. UCLA is probably more of the uh, the destination here, right? Where's he, where where did he go to high school? I think I think he's from Englewood. So yes. Yeah. So this is I mean this is him going abroad. Like he's he's really getting out there. Uh, oh yes. no, he's 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 from Simi. He's from Simi. So no, no, no. Actually... That's the high school. That's the high school. I, mm. He's from Englewood. Okay. So, okay. Um. But uh, yeah. I mean, I wrote a piece about the impact, and, and it potentially has a huge impact on the program. I mean, just oh, you, not You, you, you not think only... getting a, a plugging defensive tackle who's a high four-star is going to have a huge impact? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Not, o not only that, but did you see <laughs> Did you see that one rep that was tweeted out? Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I just want to laugh about this. It's so no, funny. He's, he, he, yeah. He, He's, he's going to be really good. He's um, a beast. He's yeah. just a beast. He was going to start at USC as a true freshman. Oh, yeah. no, And that was the funniest thing is coming out of spring, that was like, oh, he, he was he was the like most high-opening guy, even like among like upperclassmen. He was just the guy who was flashing so much. Oh, my gosh. This makes, if you count him as part of the 2021 class for UCLA, that means they're top – I, all we ever talk about, well, not all, but we talk a lot about, you got to recruit the trenches. You need offensive linemen. You need offensive linemen. Even when, you know, some recruiting classes were rated high and say, yeah, but, you know, where's the beef, pretty much? And 
UCLA's top three recruited guys in this class will be three defensive linemen, all four-star, all potential starters, crap, all potential pros down the line, coupled with UCLA's best offensive line class <laughs> in a very long time. I, I mean, so, and he just finishes this off. You, you wouldn't even say he's the final puzzle piece. He's like, you needed 10 puzzle pieces, and he filled them all in. Because he's that big, for one thing. Um, but don't say he had don't say he had an elephant head, because that's what Clay Helton said, <laughs> and it and it pissed him off enough. Don't <laughs> worry, Oh, it's so good. Uh, I've been laughing over this story for like I, you know, This is the but this is the thing. This is the kind of of of, of weird thing. That actually will, more than like, I don't know, losing to Oregon State or something, would put Clay Helton on the chopping block. Like, these kind of embarrassing fiascos that result in UCLA actually getting a leg up, uh, that's the kind of thing that will actually get that guy fired. Like, this is yeah. this is not good news for, for Clay Helton. Um, yeah. We need Clay to win nine games. Yeah, we really need Clay. We need Clay to stick around a little bit but longer. But just, uh, now if you're thinking... Uh, you know, we, we've asserted for a while that uh, Chip Kelly is going to be able to really take advantage in a unique way of the transfer portal. Well, <laughs> oh this, was, this was the transfer portal, right? Wow. Zach Charbonnet, Chase Garbers, and, <laughs> and these are, and Jay Tuia, and these are all guys from Southern California. I mean, if you were Chip Kelly, and we know, like what you said, he might not want to recruit high schoolers that much. You'd have to think, I mean, most programs are holding a handful of scholarships open for the off-season transfer portal. But you'd have to, he's got to be thinking, hey, we've got 24 scholarships. Can we hold 20 of them for the transfer portal? (laughs) (laughs) No, 21 maybe? Uh Okay, 18. (laughs) Uh, (sighs) We're in a a funny, funny, funny mood here. yeah, it's, I mean, there's so many things about this. Whenever you look at it from so many different angles, it is such a boon for UCLA in, in so many ways. If you looked at, you got to admit, I mean, there isn't high-end, high-end talent. Well, except for the guys who came from the transfer portal. But <laughs> the depth chart is is relatively deep with playable bodies. But if there was a glaring, glaring hole in a year, it would have been at nose tackle and now they just filled that with like a really big a mountain of a man (laughs) yeah you know that's the the other thing clay elton said well and that's the interesting thing is i'm wondering what they're going to do because all right you just talked about it uh it's three four-star defensive linemen this year um in this defensive scheme i'm wondering if that's going to adjust some things in terms of what they do um going forward uh, just to get you mean this season whether he's going to play not even this season but oh. two years from now like are, are they going to make some scheme adjustments um, because they've gone more I would say largely quick fast at most positions trying to get more speed on the field um, but wouldn't you say Agbanya played a lot more than we even anticipated the, last year yeah, yeah I would say the back half of the year especially he played more and more because I think they started to realize we need something up front um, 
to be more of a run stuffer. Uh, but that's one. I, I'm interested to see if they if they adjust to doing I don't know um, uh, more traditional like four down front. Um, it, I'm just I'm really interested to see what they end up doing here. Um, I, I want him to be eligible this year so he plays alongside Ogbanya. So you've got a guy who's three thirty and another guy who's three twenty five. That'll be a bunch of mass. And they're there. just bull rushing. <laughs> Uh, speaking of the eligibility, we're we're in Ethan Garber's territory here. Um, even uh, though the NCAA passed a rule that you can transfer once and not lose eligibility, as did the Pac-12, there's still that pesky, pesky national letter of intent and its rules, which dictates you have to sit out a full academic year before you can transfer um and gain eligibility. So by that rule, he would not be eligible for this season. However, kind of what happened with Ethan Garver, Garvers and what's happened with other players is they put in for an appeal with the NLI uh, committee, the office. Usually then they go to the original school and say, hey man, are you going to be cool about this? And sometimes they say no, like Washington did with Ethan Garvers. So then the player in the school where he transferred to puts in another appeal to go back to the NLI um, committee. They review it. At this point, with the Ethan Garber situation, Washington finally relented. Eh, I mean, because Washington didn't, in this era of people, of recruits that are transferring, I know this sounds really crazy and really and you might not be able to get your mind around this, but the new transfer rule is kind of resonating through recruiting that a lot of recruits feel, well, I'll just pick this school. That's where I'll go. And if I don't like it, I'll just leave after a year. So for Washington, it would have been kind of a really bad thing for them among recruits if they had not, if they had gained a reputation as not allowing people out of that NLI. So they relented, but it's on a whole different level with USC and Jay Toia. Yeah, from a few different perspectives, because it's yeah. not just, um, you know, it's not just that angle that the kid will play. It's USC's not going to want to empower UCLA in any way. I mean, it's a different deal than the relationship between Washington and UCLA. Washington and UCLA don't play every year. Uh, and then on top of that, uh, USC has more recruiting cachet. Like, they can take a hit. Um and this, I feel, would be much more easy to explain to high schools and other recruits. Hey, yeah, if you want to transfer, we're going to let you transfer. We're not going to let you transfer immediately to our crosstown rival after you've come in for spring and then let you tell them everything that we did in spring in June and then have that be used against us in the fall based off of you uh, actually being on the field. Um, like, that makes sense. Like, that actually makes sense to me. And I'm very pro guys being able to transfer. Yeah, I'm pro guys being able to transfer, but I, I understand like what you said. I mean, even when it came to – I mean, can you just picture – UCLA plays at in Seattle against Washington. I, I'm, I'm picturing the scenario. It's like a, it's a Hollywood script. DTR goes down for the final series somehow. He, you know, twisted an ankle. Ethan Garbus comes in, throws the winning touchdown. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and then UCLA USC game, Jay Toia makes like the Carl Morgan kind of sack to save the game. And there you go. Yeah. So, yeah, 
it's going to be really, I, I don't think you could ever come up with a situation of a school releasing someone from uh, agreeing to the waiver like this one between UCLA and USC under these circumstances. Yeah. So, yeah, that's going to be. But on the other hand, like we said, if USC doesn't release them, they're going to get a rep. So, I don't know. It's going to be very interesting to see what what USC does. It um, will be. And funny. It's going to be funny. And it's, this has been just, this has been fun. And we, we've got to give some credit out to UCLA's defensive line coach, Johnny Nansen. I, I mean, he's been there 15 months. He is... Remember his predecessor? No, actually. Oh, God, I can't remember his name. Vince. Vince Ogabasi. Ogabasi. Um, and he wasn't recruiting the defensive line? Yeah. Not not well? He wasn't recruiting the defensive line? No, no, I think you, I think you were doing well with the first explanation. He wasn't That's recruiting what I meant. Them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say not well, and then I decided just not, not to say. Not, yeah, yeah. Not say not well. Yeah, yeah. And everyone was thinking, oh, there must be some theory behind this. There's got to be some overarching, you know, genius. No, there really wasn't. And Johnny Nansen, I mean, he he signed six. Well, if you count the blue shirt, seven defensive linemen in the twenty. If you count Toya in the twenty twenty one class, three four star guys. Oh, I'm sorry, four four star guys who, I mean, are all potential starters on the Pac-12 level. Wow. Just, and and he he was, he was a coach at USC. Right? Mm-hmm. Yes. For and one of their best years. recruiters. Yeah. I think the word was that he had tailed off as a recruiter, um, which is, uh, uh, I don't know. That was, I think, a little bit of what we were hearing. But uh, clearly... Has uh, found a, I mean, whether that was true or not, clearly he's found a new lease on life recruiting at UCLA. Um, the proof is in the pudding, but I think he's probably, you know, you've got to say most successful recruiter over the last two years. Um, and, and amazing that <laughs> how effective, I mean, just if you, you're, we're talking about how effective he was as a recruiter overall, basically, essentially. But specifically, how his recruiting um, prowess and effectiveness at USC helped him with his UCLA class. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how well he recruited Jay Toia as a USC coach absolutely benefited him. It's like, uh, you know, it's like old school advertising. You've got your clients and you take them over to your new gig. It's not your, uh, it's not your firm's. Sorry, yeah. I've been rewatching Mad Men. But you know, is, it's, it's all exactly I thought what was it is. Mad Men when you were talking about that. Exactly. That's all it yeah. is. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So this is, I mean, it's big. Um, and if he's immediately eligible, I mean, he, he certainly projects as somebody who could be immediate impact. Um, so, very good. And then good one pickup. more thing to talk about uh, UCLA football recruiting. They currently do not have an offer out to a. 2022 quarterback uh they've brought a couple well a few guys on campus to throw for them one was Caton hauser uh the quarterback from saint john bosco another is Jaden denegal who's from apple valley um 
Uh, we had heard that Denegal threw pretty well, and maybe UCLA liked him. Uh, I, I, I've been a fan of Hauser, and then I saw him last weekend on Sunday. This is just a few days after they both threw on campus for UCLA. I saw them at the Elite 11 on Sunday. Kate Hauser is truly a big-time prospect. Great release, great arm, a little bit reminiscent of Jay Rosen with, uh, sorry, Josh Rosen with that release. Um, young for his age, hasn't played, uh, hasn't had a lot of game experience, just a lot of upside. Jane Denegal was not bad in any way, but the difference in the release, the quick twitch was was pronounced. If y'all, you know, I, I've done the video for Kate Hauser at the camp. And now Jane Denegal, uh, we released it on Thursday. Go look at them side by side and, and check it out. But UCLA might opt for Denegal. Now, the fact that he doesn't really have any other committable offers besides Ivy League and Hauser is committed to Boise State and other schools might be jumping. Dave, would you think that's an element maybe? Yes, well, I don't. I don't even know what you're talking about. Why don't you explain? Uh, because that would be harder. Oh, you think that's true? I don't necessarily see that. Why do you think that? Just because that's that's your impression of. It'll take a little bit more work, perhaps. Oh, okay. Well, it'll be very interesting uh, to see because they're going to keep reviewing quarterbacks for the month, and we'll even see if they offer one. But if they do. Or they don't. We'll see what happens there. But that's that's very interesting to watch, especially since I just saw them, a few, both of them, a few days throw side by side. Literally, in the rep line, they were one and two. So, very fun to compare and contrast. And I'm telling you, Kate Hauser is a great prospect. Exciting. <laughs> um, and then let's just skip over the aisle. Let's, to, let's hop on over. To basketball recruiting, yeah. which hosted UCLA's only official visit in football and basketball on Monday and Tuesday. Sunday through Tuesday. The great five Mark star, Mitchell. Five-star Mark Mitchell. Um, really um, going to be an interesting recruitment. Uh, his brother has lived in Los Angeles for a long time. He's an actor and choreographer. Mark Mitchell uh, is very familiar with L.A., very comfortable in Los Angeles. Uh, right now, the threat from what we're hearing is Duke. Uh, Duke is not offered. You know, they're going to do the big thing. He's going to take his official visit there later in the month. And, you know, they'll do the big ceremony of being offered and say, you're in the Duke family now. And once you're in Duke family, you're in Duke family for a lot. You know, that whole thing. Um and they'll wheel up <laughs> Coach Shishetsky. Uh So it's going to be it's going to be tough to to you know fight off that. But right now I'm hearing UCLA looks very good. Um, so that's exciting with UCLA 2022 recruiting. They already have a commitment from Amari Bailey, five star big time uh, combo guard, and then a point guard in. Dylan Andrews, who is currently a five-star, yeah, not quite a five-star in my mind, but a good multi-year player. So, wow, 
Mr. Cronin looks good over there. He seems to be doing Austin center. And this is a bold statement, but he seems to be doing okay. Yes. Yes. You'd have to think. And in recruiting, it is being reflected in recruiting. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this, this next class, I mean, it's, um, so if you end up with, I mean, from a rating standpoint, it's, I mean, you're going to, so say Mark Mitchell eventually commits, which I don't think is completely out of the question. Uh, I mean, that's two five-star, well, three five-stars. Dylan Andrews isn't a five-star in the composite, but he is in 247. That's got to be up there with the highest rated classes UCLA's had um, in the last, I don't know, 20 years. I mean, unfortunately, it's right there with the 2008 class, which uh, signaled the death knell for Howland. But we're not going to dwell <laughs> on that. We're not going to do it. Um, so, I mean... Uh, yeah, I mean, this is an example of kind of what we've talked about, where um, this program always has the potential to do this, and it doesn't take long to figure it out. Um, and if you're just if you just do the job, um, and I think Cronin's doing it at even a better level than that. But if you're just doing the job, you should kind of recruit like this. It's you know relatively easy. Um, I mean, you've got guys who want to call you and want to come to your school and you just have to be good enough and you actually have to be recruiting them. But I don't know. This is kind of the proof of that. And yeah, they've gotten a little bit lucky, I think, in terms of just how uh, the, you know, the guys in the class have been situated. We've talked about that where, you know, Peyton Watson and Mari Bailey are both guys who, you know, have the right attitude to want to play for Cronin. And they just so happen to also be the top guys in the West in their classes. Um but, I mean, even without that, every year you're going to have good enough guys in the area. You just have to, you know, do the job, which is, you know, holding down your base, which is recruiting Los Angeles. And they're doing it. Well, here, here, just so you all to get a little sense of what um, you're up against as a college coach, especially in, in basketball. Um uh, if you go out and look at prospects in the 2022 class, and you, let's say you're looking for a post player, and UCLA, I mean, uh, is looking for a post player. If there's a legitimate good post player who's UCLA level, who has grades, they'd absolutely be all over them. Um, right now, there are so many import guys from foreign countries who are absolute prospects. You know, 6'9 to 6'11 bouncy, quick, play above the rim. But it's almost impossible to know if they're legitimate prospects, if they're the right age, uh, if that's really their name, (laughs) if they're legitimate students. A lot of them are at some sketchy, sketchy high schools that are kind of just basketball factories. There's a lot to navigate. I think the UCLA program and other coaches are going through the whole process of trying to determine whether a lot of these guys can be recruited, Um, which takes a lot because they all have handlers, even the good ones, even the legitimate ones, have handlers who brought them over from somewhere or just, you know, they grew up here and they still have handlers. And trying to navigate through all that is, is, I would say... (laughs) Given where the program is in recruiting, that's UCLA's biggest recruiting challenge right now is trying to navigate through all of those 
handlers and and whether some of these guys are legit college players with legit college eligibility. It's that bad. It used to be a handful of guys. Now there are 20 guys that are all could play at the high, the elite high major level. And you don't know, you know, if they're legit and they have real eligibility. Yeah. I think there's that there's, um, there, there's going to be the continuing issue of the G league and what that means and whether, you know, even a guy like Amari Bailey, you know, it's unlikely that he's going to do it at this stage, but who knows what things look like by the time he's getting ready to go to school. Um, you know, you, you can never predict. Um, and so there's an element where uh, college basketball recruiting from that angle is also becoming a little bit more like uh, college baseball recruiting in that you don't, you, you, you have to sign the best guys you can sign, but you also have to be cognizant that some of those real, real top tier guys might not be coming to college. Um, so you can't necessarily bank on it. And your angle is another one that's even a difference from college baseball, which is some of these guys might not be able to to play in college. And so it's it's tricky. Um, I would say the UCLA, the challenge there is one of those classic um, good problems to have, which is, yeah, you've got to determine whether all these five-star guys who want to come play for you are actually going to end up coming and playing for you. Um, but, you know then there's an element of picking and choosing. And also I think Cronin and, you know, it was in your uh, interview with him. It was in Bolch's story the other day. Uh, at least what he's telling us media folks is he's given them the unvarnished take. And that's what the recruits seem to be saying too. Um, so I think he's got a little bit more freedom to do that because he knows he's going to have to self, he's going to have to have these guys self-select out a little bit too. Um, because otherwise it's just not going to work. Yeah, but very exciting. I mean, um, I'm going to uh, Phoenix next weekend. Exciting. First, first evaluation period in 15 months where we can go out and actually look at players. It's called the Section Seven D1 camp. It's a. It's not only NCA sanctioned. It's pretty much NCA uh, organized, I believe, too. Um, it's a high school team tournament. It's over two different weekends. I'm going one weekend, I think. It's I think they're up to 200 teams. Uh, a lot of the elite teams aren't uh, like Sierra Canyon isn't going. Some some elite teams with a lot some of elite players aren't going, but there will be quite a few that are, especially 2023 guys. So this is going to be this will be fun to actually go out watch players again because that's that's the fun part of all this and you see like coaches will be out so and it's a and it's a high school team event right not an aau it's a high school team event which is good in one hand because they actually play better real basketball on the other hand a lot more you know, there, well there might be one player per seven teams yeah. as opposed to a whole team full of prospects um but still kind of exciting even though i gotta go to phoenix um so, but that's in June. There are more events. Uh, there are two different evaluation periods in June. And then July is just crazy. The Peach Jam is a 13-day tournament, which I've never heard of. It's up to 13 days now? 13 days. They re they reorganize it. It's, I, I don't know, like five or six days 
during the dead period and then another five or six, seven days within the evaluation period. Um, they're basically playing the EYBL league before the coaches get there, pretty much. Um, What's the point of that? Which is in Augusta, Georgia, or as you know, North Augusta, South Carolina. And Dave, I just can't bring myself to go. I'm sorry, bros. Oh, you lost. Seven. You lost your East Coast correspondent yeah. through no fault of your own. How far would North Augusta, South Carolina, be from where you were living? Uh, a couple hours. Ah, oh. oh, Dave. Could have just posted up there for two weeks straight. Damn. I mean, I can't go. Can't go. Can't, can't bring myself to go. No, can't don't go. do it. There's got to be Dave, some Vegas what? stuff. Isn't there some Vegas stuff going on? Nah, not legit. Not real. Just, they all have their different, play- like, Adidas has its, its, its league, and Under Armour has its thing. I mean, what they kind of do since, <laughs> since uh, the PGM is such a big thing, they'll have one in like Birmingham, Alabama at the same time, which is probably two hours away from Augusta. So yeah, no Vegas, they all, you should go to Vegas. They won't, it's minor tournaments. So it's hard to see a lot of guys. I'm going to try, I'll try to get out to a lot of West coast stuff. Um, I might have to go to Vegas if I, to see someone there, but um, it's still exciting though, because right now, UCLA is kind of a hot name in recruiting. Uh, they they have a lot of interest. You know, I just, I heard from a guy who, you know, was kind of a handler of a recruit and UCLA called him and he was, he was about the recruit and he was so excited, just really excited. So it's a whole different, it's a whole different buzz now. Mick Cronin's got the juice right now. He does. He does. And, um, yeah, what about that interview we did? I, I mean, he is, you know, there are coaches who are good at interviews, but Mick, and there are other coaches that are really good. And Mick is in like the upper, upper tier. He, he makes you feel he's not talking coach speak. He's really giving you a lot of information, but he's making you feel like you're friends and you're talking with him. I, I mean, while at the same time, I mean, some of those post-game interviews over the last two years when he lost, when UCLA lost and they played like real crap and he hated some of the questions, he contained himself. <laughs> I mean, he's a master at this, don't you think? Yeah, no, he's – um. how can I put this nicely? He is uh, mood-stabilized Jim Mora all the time. Like, yeah. remember when Mora was really good? Like, really good at the interviews, just nailing everything and, like, talking about it and making you feel like you're asking good questions. But Cronin yeah. does that 100% of the time. Like, every single interview, except, like, a few moments in post games. But even then, his anger is almost never towards the press. You can tell it's just seething anger at his own team um, yeah. and, at, and at himself. Um, but, no, he's, uh, he's a master at it. Uh, clearly has done uh, Clearly has and- done a good job there. And what the media wants, how the media decides it likes a coach as an interviewee, 
is first and foremost, are you giving are you giving out good information and do you have a good quote? That's all they care. That's really I mean, if you're going to be pleasant about it, that's good, too. But the A and B are the most important. And he just nails it every time. I mean, every time we interview him, he comes out with something that we didn't know before, which. Yeah. Yeah. OK, we got to so this is just too much of a Mick Cronin kind of. We're just we're gassing him up too much. Yeah, it's way too much. You know what? That guy's Wait, short. His How about head, that? He's he's listening right now, and his head's getting really. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, he's doing. Did you it. say he was short? I did. I said he was short. Wow. Got to take him down a peg, you know. <laughs> we were gassing him up too much. We were. Um. But yeah, so uh, he's doing a good job at the old UCLA job. Um, yeah. You know, making a Final Four, pretty good. Hey, I was pissed about one thing with that interview, Tracy. Oh, no. You didn't ask him about my banners. You didn't I, ask him about the David Woods Final Four banners. Well, I can tell you one thing. The one slight, I wouldn't even call it a drawback. That's not, the one thing that you have to know with Mick is that when you ask a question, when you're interviewing someone, you ask them the question. Then they say something and that sparks another question. With Mick, he sparks so many questions and then he can talk at length over your answer, what he's answering. All I'm saying think, is it should have it should have been question one, Tracy. Uh, I had it on the list, but I'm I'm almost two hours in. I get and, it. And I, I mean, Dave, that interview was supposed to be. I was told it should be 25 minutes. We're at 56 minutes. So, not that UCLA was uh, pressuring me at all. They were very very cool about it. But look, you just Dave, I'm, I'm just saying you understand my priorities. Dave, Dave. You could easily, I think it's about time you, you introduce yourself to Mr. Cronin in a Zoom interview. I think it's time. Okay. I think it's time. I'll ask him about my banners. That would be my would first watch, question. I, I would watch that. I would really watch that. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm all for it. Okay. Done and done. Okay. All right. So does that mean does that mean our podcast is done too? Is that what you're saying? I've I've got nothing. I've got nothing else. You got anything else? No, I think this was really. I think this was fantastic, though. I think it, it had highs and lows. Um, it had middles, um, but it was uh, it was uh, it was a delightful time. Yes. Um, well, thanks, Dave, for you know, just being you, bringing your beard to this. Yeah. Thing. Well, thank yeah. you, Tracy, for being you. Bringing yeah. your uh, bringing your knowledge. Hey, really fast. What do you think about the twelve team playoff? I think it's a stupid idea. Really, what? Uh, well, so from the Pac twelve perspective, it actually doesn't um, it doesn't meaningfully change the game. Uh, so as it is right now, the Pac twelve only gets in when it's really good, right? They only get in with Washington or Oregon twice in the last seven years. So. What this is going to do is, yeah, probably the Pac-12 is getting in a team every year, right? What's yeah. the SEC getting in every year? Four. <laughs> Four. What's the Big Ten getting in every year? Three. Three. What's, what's the Big 12 getting in? Probably two. What's okay. And then you get a group of five. Then you get the ACC with their one Clemson. And then you get the Pac-12 team. Um, it's not setting it up where the Pac-12 is suddenly going to be, oh, they have access now, so they're going to win titles. That's not going to happen until the Pac-12 actually gets good again. The, the whole back-asswardness of this argument and the reason why I think it's so stupid that the Pac-12, the new guy came out with uh, support of this idea, it's bad for the Pac-12. Like, this isn't, this isn't any better. 
the thing that the Pac-12 needs to do is get better at football. Um, that's not solved by increasing access to a 12-team tournament. And here's the other thing. So the whole idea with everything they've done since going away from the old bowl games to going to the BCS to going to the 14 playoff was in pursuit of crowning a true champion. I think they got that with the BCS, and I think whatever, I think they got it with the 14 playoff too. 12-team, you're just increasing randomness. And so if the goal is to just have more money and go for silly fun, why stop at 12? Just go to 24. 24, (laughs) no, and I'm not kidding. 24 would be about the equivalent size of the NCAA tournament in basketball. You would have about a similar amount of access. It would be about one-sixth of the teams get in. So you do that and then have that group of teams compete for it, and it'll be a ton of silly fun, and you'll make a lot more money. Um, 12 teams, all you're doing is diminishing the, uh, the, you're diminishing the regular season, but you're also diminishing the ability to crown a true champion, uh, with randomness, but you're not actually increasing that quotient of silly fun enough. Make it a 24 team tournament, cut a couple of games out of the regular season and make it all about that tournament. This is like a weird middle ground solution that I think just makes everything worse. Well, I completely agree, except on one thing, the practicality of adding so many games if you're having 24 teams. It would just be, you would have to cut the regular season. It would have to be cut from a couple of games. But I think, I think 12 teams, there's going to be complaints about this if they don't actually start paying the players. Because if, if, if Alabama wins the SEC turn, SEC uh, title game, they're at 13 games at that point, And then they might have to play as many as what, three or four more. No, they'll only, it will, they will only, if you're one of the four seeded teams, you will only play one more. Okay. But all right. So then the other, whatever the, the, the odd man out is there in the conference champs or the two conference champs who are not in the top four, right? Those ones will play potentially if they get all the way to the championship game, they'll play what? 17 games. I don't know. I'd have to actually do the math. I don't think it's that many, but I understand what you're saying. Yeah, but I mean, they're going to have to cut some point. games. You said one thing. Silly fun. I'm tired of the, I mean, the, 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 the four teams that have gotten in over the last, you know, recent years. Oh, my God, I'm so bored with it. It's the same teams. We need silly fun, Dave. And if we can't do 24 which practically maybe that goes over the line of being able to pull that off. I want silly fun. You nailed it. However many, if they could do 24, fantastic. They can't pull that off. I'll take 12. I just want more. I want more fun with this. I mean, if, if we had the equivalent of the 14 playoff in basketball, UCLA ain't going to a final four this last year. So I want more silly fun. I right, but more... the equivalent of a four-team playoff in college football would be a 16-team playoff, more or less, in college basketball. Like, And yeah, UCLA still wouldn't have made it. But So what's a 12-team in football equivalent of in basketball? It would be like a 48-team tournament, okay, something like that. That's good enough. That's, good um, enough. that's yeah. a lot of silliness. <laughs> it's some. It's some. I'm. My point is it's just not – you're basically not getting enough bang for your buck here. Um, in terms of that silly fun. Two and three lost teams will be able to get into this tournament, particularly out of the SEC. Um, so it just, it, it, it makes it a little bit less meaningful every regular season game. I think for some leagues, it'll be more or less the same. I think the Pac-12, <laughs> to ensure you're in there, you're still going to have to probably emerge with no more than, 
uh, I don't know, two losses in 13 games. Um, but for everyone else, I think it's going to diminish the regular season, especially in the SEC. So what you're saying is UCLA is going to the playoffs in 2023. Okay. Yeah, basically. Got it. Yeah. Okay, Dave. Well, it was fun. It was big fun. Good talking to you. Always enjoy it. All right. All right. For Tracy Pearson, I'm David Woods, Brown Report Online, and we will talk to you again next time. Be safe out there.